Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. In the late uh, 1990s, uh, Joshua Harris, this fellow you saw uh, in the interview, he burst onto the Christian scene and he had this book titled I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Anybody know the title I'm talking about? Yeah. And uh, it was a treatise, you could say, on, on courtship and dating. And uh, the book sold millions and made him, in, in one observer's term, uh, this evangelical boy wonder. And the book upon rereading is all kinds of problematic. And um, I think it's done actually more harm than good. And Josh Harris uh, later disavowed much of it. Uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't have been taking our relationship cues from a 19-year-old anyways. But as a 29-year-old, he became uh, quite the celebrity, if you will, and became the lead pastor of this mega church in Maryland and was on the speaking circuit. And uh, it was when his church got uh, some accusations of some systemic cover-up and abuse, he found himself deconstructing. Uh, How many of you have heard the term deconstructing as it relates to faith? Yeah? Okay. Some of you haven't heard that word. Some of you, I suspect, are already sick of that word. Uh, As you saw in the video, it seems everyone and their brother is deconstructing these days. And that video really only scratched the surface of, of this exodus from, from the church, well-known people who are leaving the faith. And the first time I heard the word deconstructing was watching Top Chef. Remember that, Vicky? It was, you know, a hoity-toity food trend where you would, you know, go to the uh, fancy schmancy five-star restaurant and order the $50 shepherd's pie, except it had the brown butter truffle mashed potatoes on the side and the ground Kobe beef on the side and uh, this, you know, the spring pea shoots on the side and the Worcestershire onion au jus drizzled on the top. You know, the components of the shepherd's pie had been uh, separated, examined, partitioned, deconstructed. You know, in terms of Christianity, the the idea of deconstruction is when you look at what has been constructed in your uh, life, the foundation of your faith, your beliefs, your lifestyle, and then you take time to deconstruct by examining each of those, you know, component pieces. Deconstruction is kind of a building metaphor, right? Like it's not necessarily... um, demolition or destruction, but more of a dismantling, uncoupling from something that was formerly whole. 
Uh, deconstructing can be a bit of a junk drawer term that means different things to different people. To some, the term deconstruct can mean rejecting Christianity entirely. Others describe the process as, as uh, you know, rebuffing certain cultural beliefs associated with Christianity. It could have been sparked through a bad church experience. Um, maybe just this growing intuition that something feels off kilter. Uh, you, you've perhaps gone through a re-examination of scriptures. Maybe you've heard the term ex-evangelical. It, it can mean both those who have rejected the label evangelical or aspects of the evangelical subculture or the evangelical church. Or it could mean those who have rejected evangelical faith altogether. Um, now, will what I'm about to say get me in trouble? I don't know. Let's see what happens. I'm not sure I want to call myself an evangelical, if you, if you want to know the absolute truth. Not because I reject the traditional definition of an evangelical, where the Bible is authoritative, um, you know, that we, we all need a, a conversion experience, a second birth, um, that it's our responsibility to share the gospel, that Jesus' sacrificial death, the power of his resurrection is, is fundamental, uh, the, uh, the belief that Jesus is coming again. You know, evangelical, that's the tribe of Billy Graham. And, and it comes from this Greek word, uh, evangelion, which, which means good news. You know, so evangelicals are supposed to be good news people. It, what a great word in that sense, isn't it? And the reason I have a problem labeling myself that is, is more because of how that word is increasingly meant to be understood in 2021. Would it be fair to say that it's not a word typically associated with good news people? It's a word that's been kind of co-opted. And it's a word that's come to mean like certain voting demographic, which you know, something Jesus didn't seem to be interested in. It's a word that seems to be associated with what we are against or who we don't like as opposed to what we are for. Uh, it's a word mostly associated with, and let's just be honest here, with white people. It's not a word shared widely among our Black brothers and sisters, for instance. It's a word lately that is finding some solidarity with conspiracy movements. It's a word that is mistakenly interchanged with fundamentalists, which we are not. N.T. Wright, one of my uh, theological heroes, recently said on, on one of the podcasts I listened to, oh, evangelical is too good a word to, to abandon it. And... And it is disappointing that it's been misappropriated, it seems, by, by forces that don't seem aligned with its original meaning. But it's a label, to me, that's become so loaded, so vague, so toxic in some circles. And, and I'm not sure 
I can wear that label anymore. You'll have to decide that for yourself. And for now, I, I guess I call myself a Christ follower because that just seems to spell it out as simply as, as I know how. But you can see how in that sense, you could say that I'm deconstructing too. Oh dear, if I had pearls to clutch, I would. Oh, our pastor, heavens to... <laughs> I like that character. I may just preach in that voice. Uh, but in the loosest sense of the word, I'm, I'm reevaluating the parts of our subculture, the parts of our language, parts that don't fit anymore. We do this naturally as people, right? We, we have to do this even every few generations in our faith, except we call it reformation or at its best, Revival. I might argue that Jesus led the ultimate deconstruction 2,000 years ago among some very religious people when he kept saying this sentence over and over again. You may remember this from our Sermon on the Mount series. He would say, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Uh, Okay, back to Josh Harris for a second. He leaves ministry in 2015. And in 2019, he announces that he's no longer identified as a Christian and that he and his wife are divorcing. And he told Newsweek that it was problems in his church and mistakes that he made as a church leader, among other things, that led him to fall away from Christianity. And this is how he put it. Um, That was all part of my deconstruction process questioning the things I built my life around. And of course, other high-profile evangelical leaders have recently publicly announced their deconstruction, whether you know, partially or in full, like we saw in the video. Worship leader Gunger, uh, Hillsong worship leader Marty Sampson, uh, former Desiring God writer Paul Maxwell, Kevin Max of DC Talk. Now, As I say, this isn't entirely a new phenomenon just created in the last couple years. Carl Truman wrote that uh, throughout time, people have lost their faith. The difference is that now it's used with this pseudo-intellectual language of deconstruction in order to describe it. It's old thinking packaged in trendy postmodern language. I find that a little dismissive, actually, though I think we might all have the temptation to believe that we're the first generation to ever, you know, contemplate these ideas. But statistically, it's happening a lot, folks. The the growing segment of, of North Americans who no longer identify with any religious identity, sometimes they're referred to as the nuns, and the duns. In other words, you know, those who are asked in polls and in census to identify with some religion and they say they have none. And those who were raised with religion but now say they're done with it. And I believe there are people in our own church who are deconstructing or whatever you want to call it. There's many parents here in this room, I imagine, who are worrying about how to effectively pass on 
uh, Christian faith in the midst of a post-Christian world that is at war, it seems, with anything that smacks of having a higher moral authority. It's led many church leaders into deep reflection on what it is about the church that is causing so many to disengage, to leave outright, or, or kind of to just drift away, disillusioned. And so I'm deeply passionate about this topic, about this series, not so much because people are deconstructing, but rather because precious few are doing the work to reconstruct. And you know what? It does take work. Uh, in, in Philippians 2, Paul encourages us to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Another uh, translation says to, to work out your salvation with deep reverence and fear. In other words, this is serious stuff. Uh, it's not to be taken lightly. It takes time. It takes intent. And, and for most people, I would say their deconstruction happens slowly and then all at once. And if they're honest, very little time or effort or study is put into any kind of reconstruction. So my hope is that maybe in this series, um, it could be an entry point, a, a conversation starter for those willing to just put in a little bit of effort into their reconstruction into their faith foundation. And this is where I might actually need your help because a lot of people who have drifted away from the faith who are done with church are certainly not attending church. In fact, COVID may have acted like a real good off-ramp. Uh, it may have accelerated their exodus from the church or even from the faith. There might not be that many people who are uh, bothering to engage with us online or on the podcast because frankly, their deconstruction has led them to a place of being content in not pursuing anything spiritual, um, of putting in the, the work to contemplate those existential questions of life. Why am I here? Is there such a thing as life after death? Um, do people have a soul? Is there a God? If there is a God, is he actually good? And if he's good, why is the world so evil and messed up? So I, mean, I may need to ask your help in inviting some of the people that you know, and I know that you know people in this category and invite them into the conversation, even just dip their toe in this series and they can do it safely from their own home if they like or their own podcast feed. But for everybody, it's time to wrestle with some of these meaning of life questions again. Uh, you know the story in Genesis 32 uh, of Jacob wrestling with God. And I, I don't want to impose bad interpretation on that already difficult narrative. But it's interesting to me that Jacob wrestled with God all night. And some of us aren't prepared to wrestle with God and the big questions of faith for even 
five minutes. You know, Jacob wrestles with God all throughout the night. He wrestles with everything he's got, but eventually he wears out. And I'm not sure if he wanted to let go at one point, but somehow he hung on, or maybe it was God holding on to him. And so we wrestle together in this series. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just show you my cards, okay? Because I have three very specific goals in mind for this series. The first is I want to try and explain the Christian faith in a way that doesn't assume you have a foundational knowledge of it. So I, I don't mean that in a condescending way at all. It just means that I'm going to assume that you are a normal Canadian. You know, most people in Canada today don't have a foundational knowledge or understanding of the Christian faith. Many weren't raised in a Christian home, or if they, if they were, were unchurched or unschooled on the Christian faith. It has shocked me lately. I don't know if you feel the same, but like how many teenagers, how many young adults, for instance, who don't know the historical Christian stories behind Christmas, behind Easter, you know, they think the Easter bunny came from outer space and, you know, hides eggs and that, that's the true meaning of Easter or something. And so I'm not going to assume that you have a, an undergraduate degree in biblical studies. Second, I, as a goal, I'd like to try to address some of the more common questions or objections. People uh, who are standing outside of the Christian faith um, or those who have abandoned their faith, they have questions. And they're different questions than, than people were asking 25 years ago. They're good questions. They're, uh, they're fair questions. They're reasonable questions and questions that should be asked. My, my third goal is that if you already consider yourself uh, a follower of Jesus, that, that you'll actually benefit from eavesdropping on this conversation because you know, while you are a person of faith, I'll bet you still have aspects of the, of the Christian faith you never fully understood or questions that have remained unanswered or questions that people are asking you. And I guarantee you have people that you love in your life who are struggling or rejecting aspects of faith. And for those of you who would like to go even a little deeper uh, into, into this, or maybe need a resource to have at the ready. Um, I'm boring some thoughts from James Emery White's book, Christianity for People Who Aren't Christians. And uh, he's able to cover with referencing and footnotes uh, things that I just can't in, in a short amount of time on a Sunday. And you can get it cheaper at NAC than you can uh, at Amazon. So $20, um, it's even on our giving drop-down menu on, on the web. And, uh, and actually, can I add one more, a fourth goal that's not listed here, but because it's a goal that's not just for this series, but for our church in general, I have a goal that NAC would be a safe place to come with those types of doubts and questions, and yes, 
skepticism, that we would learn to listen and listen attentively to, to stories that might even be troubling, uh, stories that might stir up defensiveness, and that we would withhold judgment and refrain from being defensive, yet still be discerning. You know, you remember what the first thing you see on our website? Real people, real problems, real God. May it be so. And so my promise to you is that if you, if you come on this journey with us, there won't be trite answers, okay? If you're like me, you don't need more tweetable slogans, you know, more popular hashtags when you're hurting. But I do want us to talk about not only real people and real problems, but a real God, or rather, um, who God really is, not the one who we may have made him out to be. Pastor Chris and I talk sometimes about what series in, in big church could be adaptable to children's ministry. And we both agree that this really isn't one of those series. But for those who are parents this morning, who have kids at, at home, um, can I give you one piece of advice from, from my experience, both as a parent and someone who had parents, make your home a safe place to ask questions. Make your home a safe place for doubt. Doubt is not a sin. Doubt does not scare God, I assure you. At some point, your kid is going to have a thought that'll hit them like a thunderbolt. And they'll think that they're the first person to ever have had this thought. And they'll think, am I a Christian just because my parents are Christians? Do, do I believe this because I've been raised to believe it? What if I've been born in India? Would I be a Hindu? What if I'd been born in Iran? Would, would you know, my parents would have raised me to probably except the Muslim faith. If I'd been born in Quebec, my parents would have raised me to be part of this cult known as Les Habitants, the Montreal Canadian fans wearing ridiculous red jerseys. Allow your kids to pursue their questions without fear or shame or anger, without insecurity. Show them that questions are not wrong. Curiosity is not wrong. And even as I say that, I know there are grown adults in this room who wished they'd had the luxury of that freedom when they grew up. Andy Stanley wrote about this in his, in his book, Irresistible, about a former worship leader who left the faith after she read a book proving you know, so-called discrepancies in the Bible. But you know what? Even if that were true, the foundation of our faith is not accepting a book into our heart. Uh, it's not, and I'd like to dig into that on one of these weeks. There was a renowned New Testament scholar recently who said he lost his faith and embraced atheism because of suffering in the world. But guess what? The foundation of our faith is not a world without suffering. 
pain and suffering doesn't disprove the existence of God. It only disproves the existence of a God who doesn't allow pain and suffering. And and what God is that? It's not ours. Our God actually promised suffering. I'd like to dig into that one of these weeks. Um, People leave the church because they had a bad church experience. I would be afraid to pass the mic around here or raise hands about the people who have had a bad church experience. I can tell you I've had lots of them. But it hasn't ruined my faith. I think we should spend a week talking about that. Quantum physics doesn't undermine the claims of Jesus. Neither does natural selection. Neither does you know, unverifiable Old Testament miracles. It doesn't cause the foundation to come tumbling down. But the point of this series, by the way, is not to try to out-reason anyone, to try to debate you back to church. I'm not sure anyone has been argued into the kingdom of God. Um, those deconstructing, by the way, are not our enemies. They're not people to be conquered or subdued. I know you may be experiencing this phenomenon like a threat, a threat to your family, a threat to our country. But, but keep in mind, those who are going through this are also experiencing it as loss, uh, a loss of hope that they once believed in. Uh, quite likely a loss of community and support, let alone feeling like there's a severing of a relationship with God, even though God has not left them. They feel in the wilderness right now. And, And part of the reason I worry for them is you can't live forever in the wilderness. A reconstruction has to take place eventually, but will it be on a solid foundation? Because let's face it, atheism is a form of reconstruction. Atheism is its own religion of sorts, you know, that has its own beliefs and practices, often extolling the, the ultimate authority of science over all things. It's a, it's a topic that is deeply personal for me. Uh, it's an issue that affects my immediate family. It's an issue that affects my extended family. And I'll bet it's an issue that affects every one of the families represented in here in one way or another, somebody that you love. And, and that goes for all the people watching online as well. If that person who is struggling with their faith this morning is you, maybe nobody knows about it except you, and of course God, you've gotten really good at playing the game and acting the part. To you, could I just say this? The first step to reconstructing your faith, that is if you're even interested in it, is to start by telling the truth. You don't need to hide anymore. You don't need to act like everything's okay. You have questions and they're not a surprise to God. You should know that God isn't disturbed by your questions. He welcomes them. He welcomes you. Uh, When our Christianity hasn't lived up to our expectations, it's really important to stop and figure out why. Are we expecting the wrong 
things? Is our disappointment in the Christian life legitimate? Or could there be more beneath the surface? Could God even be using our unmet expectations for a specific purpose? Let me just say this in closing. You might think this series is about finding your way back to God, but it's not. It's about understanding that God has already found his way to you. I wanna ask if you would uh, just do something, allow me to pray for you, or maybe pray for you as a, as a stand-in, as a proxy for somebody else. If you have somebody in your sphere of influence who has drifted from the faith, who is um, deconstructing, whatever words you wanna use, would you just stand with me? It, it, I have a suspicion that it could be everybody, but maybe not, maybe not. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anybody in your work life, home life, extended family, people who were once serving God, who no longer are? Yeah, thank you. I stand with you. Father, we, we need you. We need you not only to be good witnesses, good examples to these people, to be discerning, to know when to remain silent and when to speak, but we recognize that ultimately it's not going to be us who pushes anybody across the line of faith. It's not going to be us in our power who draws anybody to a saving knowledge of Jesus. It's gonna be by your spirit that you, you draw people who are increasingly hard-hearted, who increasingly are distant, who increasingly have different voices and influences. And so God, um, don't give up on these people. I know you won't, but, but pursue them by your spirit, I pray. May, may they find answers, but more than that, would they find you? Would they experience your presence? Oh, I still have questions about Jesus, but, but having Jesus with me makes all the difference. Knowing what it's like to have his presence just, just makes all the difference. And so I pray for your very tangible presence in the lives of the people represented here. We'll continue to pray for them, Lord. May there be those who would Look at this as an opportunity to engage in the conversation again, to um, onboard, at least to wrestle again. They've stopped wrestling even. May this be an opportunity for those to just ask those good questions that you have answers for. We ask it in Jesus' name. I'll invite you to sit. 
continue to pray for those people. Maybe continue to pray for yourself as, uh, as you just sort of uh, take in this song and worship in your seats.